Good morning once again. Wow, what a, what a video, huh? Is your Jesus plastic? No. Okay, the answer is no. A resounding, I hope, no. Although, be honest, if he's not real to you, it's like, well, he's not real, but this morning he might become real to me in real faith. Well, I'm thrilled about this new series today called Great. Great. That's a, that's a fun word to, to think about. We're going to look at four characteristics of being great over the next four weeks. And today is great faith. There is a story in the Gospel of Luke, if you have a copy of the Scriptures, in the seventh chapter, verses 1 through 10, called the Great Centurion. I love this story, and we're going to unpack it together and talk about some other passages about what kind of faith we have. But before I do that, I want to contrast from another Scripture, not Luke 7, but in Matthew 13, 54 through 58, I want you to hear these words. Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is he not his mother called Mary? And are not his brother James and Joseph and Simeon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Jesus is quick to talk about people that don't have faith or they have very minimal faith at all, that he tends to kind of withdraw himself from those situations. This morning, to contrast that, we read, I think, one of the greatest stories in all the Bible about a man that has phenomenal faith, but we don't know his name. He's a centurion. It'd be like today. This guy, this gal had phenomenal, off-the-chart faith. What's their name? They had great faith. They were a Marine. They were Air Force or whatever branch of service. And that's who they were. And you'd go, man, I want to know who they are. And in Scripture, it just tells us he's a centurion. And we're going to unpack what a centurion is and what that meant in that day. And they were powerful officers if you will i mean they were just tremendous but here in the gospel of luke i want you to stand because i'm gonna read it to you from the new international version this morning so stand with me the last time i'll have you stand the next time you stand you're going to lunch okay when jesus had finished saying all these in the hearing of the people he entered capernaum and there a centurion servant whom his master value highly was sick and about to die and the centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and he's built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I tell you this one, go and he goes, and that one come and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. One translation says he, he marveled at him. Turning to the crowd, following him, he said, I tell you, I've not found such great faith even in Israel. And then the men who had been sent returned to the house, and they found the servant well. You can be seated. 
And that's just 10 little verses from the Gospel of Luke. But there is so much in there as I've reflected on this section this week, thinking about Jesus. Think about him often. And a lot of times Jesus had a bad rap, a bad reputation, because people would make fun of him. He'd come to overthrow their government or overthrow their rule, they thought. And they, and they go, but Jesus, he hangs around sinful, wicked, atrocious people. Jesus. With the day he hung around Zacchaeus, they're like, what, the little squatty tax collector even hangs around him and even invited Zacchaeus to his house in Luke 19. We've done that story. But Jesus also found himself in his day among the most powerful, the most religious, the most influential, affluent people of the day. And Jesus would come in and out of the crowds to do the will of his father. But the centurion that we know from Scripture, I think it's interesting. The Bible never says that he saw Jesus. Some believe that he never heard Jesus preach. Thinking, wow. But he heard about Jesus. And people would talk about Christ, and they would talk about this one from God and this miracle worker, and he would hear because he was a great leader in his own right. The centurion people, as I studied this, they had somewhere between 80 and 100 men, 100 people under their reign, under their rule. They were very influential. They were extremely well paid, powerful people. And this is the guy that could command men to do things and they would do as he asked. But the scripture says, and we'll see it over and over, he didn't count himself worthy. Now this is a guy that is powerful, that has status, that has class, that has whatever you need. And he goes, I'm not worthy to go see a poor, peasant, Jewish rabbi. And that's what he thinks. He just thinks, hey, I, I'm not worthy. The centurion officers were the backbone of the Roman army. And it just seems like if you ever got to that level, you were on your way to great success. Maybe you were on your way to being a colonel or being a general. You were just prestigious. You just felt like that, hey, I, I've got it down. And people probably hated you and people respected you. Look at the first blank there with me. It's the sick servant that we read about. The centurion has a servant because he's powerful, he has means, and he has a person serving him. And yet he is touched by this person. I believe he has uh, compassion. I think he has great love for this person. And he's concerned this person is extremely sick. When people get sick in your house, you just push them out and go, just go ahead and die. No, you do everything you can. You get them to the doctor, you get them medicine, you get them rest. You go to Chick-fil-A, you get them chicken noodle soup. I don't know. You, you, uh, or, or you make it. You, you just do whatever you can because you're concerned about them. But this person is sick. But move, move through this section here. It says in verse 3, the centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to go to Jesus. Because he goes, I'm not worthy to go, but y'all maybe have a voice with him. So, so y'all go because I know, I've heard that Jesus is different. I've heard that Jesus can do that which regular man can't do. I've heard that Jesus has a following. And I must have him come. Because if he'll come, man, something's going to happen. So look at the second one. The centurion just heard of Jesus. 
So the servant's sick. The, per- the centurion hears of Jesus. And then in verse 3, the centurion simply asks. You know where the scripture says, you have not because you... I wonder, what are you asking God for? Do you ask God for souls that God would redeem your friends? Do you ask God to make you a light into the world? Do you ask God for this and that? You say, well, I ask for him to help me pass that test. I help for him to ask him to do this. I ask him to heal me of that disease. I ask him to keep me from getting the disease. I I ask, ask, ask. But other things, I don't ask. And Jesus marvels at this guy's faith that we'll see in a minute. So the centurion had heard, he asked. And you got to remember, this is a guy, this centurion, he just asked people. He asked his soldiers, his officers, his fellow people to do things, and they do what he commands. He's, he's very used to being in control, in charge. Look at the next one. There's the synagogue incentive here is what I'll call this. It says that, Jesus, you ought to heal this guy. And I find that interesting. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and he's built our synagogue. He's built our church. And they're trying to go, but Jesus, you owe this to him because he's done good. And let me tell you, there's a, a, a propaganda out there that some people think if we do this for God, God owes us this. And that is erroneously wrong. And the church said, that's celestial Santa Claus theology. <laughs> I just made that up, okay? I mean, God, if I do this, I will strong arm you to do this for me. God doesn't work that way. He is God. He is sovereign. He is ruler. He is creator. He is redeemer. He is judge. He is in charge. And here, they're saying, but you ought to heal this guy. It's like us saying, oh, Jesus, you should answer the prayer of that person because they go to church often. And Jesus, I heard they give tithes, so you ought to double answer their prayer. And Jesus, I heard they sang on the worship team. So Jesus, I know you'll do whatever they ask. Jesus, they go on mission trips. So Jesus, you're obligated to do that which I ask. And Jesus goes, no, I'm not. I will what I will. I'm God. I love you. So here it is. So he realizes that he's not worthy, even though he has helped with his means, he's helped build the synagogue. In our day and age, if you help build a church, what do we do? We name the wing after you. I've often said, if anybody would pay off the youth building right now, we will put your name on it. Anybody want to write a big check? I'll tell you exactly what the payoff is. And you can have your name and write over there and go, and that is the building. So this guy, I don't know if any buildings or any synagogues were named after him. If they were, maybe we'd find in the scripture, hey, that was Timothy, that was Paul, that was whoever. But, well, we don't, we don't see any of that about who he was. But his friends here go, but he's not worth, or we're not worthy to come into his presence. You know, I just want us to stop and just think about that for a minute. We have to be careful thinking that we deserve something. Grace is the unmerited love and favor of God in Jesus Christ. We deserve hell. We forfeit that by our faith and our trust in the living Christ, and we get mercy, and we get so much more than we deserve. And even this pagan officer realizes that he has more faith than the people of faith, which I find is amazing, because he goes, hey, I get this. I'm not worthy. Even though I've done some things, the great uh, uh, historian here, Aristotle, he looked at servants as something you own. 
And that's what a lot of his teachings and writings, he thought he uh, lorded over people and he owned them. And here's this officer, he's like, no, I don't, I don't own anybody. I want to help my servant that serves me. He's dying. He's in, he's in need. And I'm going to help the local people here with their synagogue. I'm going to help build it. I mean, it's just an amazing story when you get to the history of it. And yet the centurion is the, the sharp edge of the Roman Empire. And the power of Rome comes through these officers and, and they speak and they, they go out to war and they have great, uh, uh, great abilities. And yet, Jesus is eager to help this Roman soldier. It's amazing. Not, not a Jewish soldier, but Jesus wants to help him. And I think, well, Jesus wants to help us. Look at the next one here. The centurion humbled himself. Now, that's kind of an interesting term Humility and power. Do they go hand in hand? They do in the kingdom. In the world, if you're thought to be humble, you're kind of soft. If you're thought to be powerful, you're maybe loud and in charge. But Jesus marries those and he says, you're a servant leader and you're full of humility and you've got power from on high. You've got power that I've given you and they come together. People in this room will tell you, the people they work for that have power or have authority, but who are the best ones that you work for or that you serve are the ones that are humble of heart. We've talked about humility many times here. And that's what Jesus is so turned. He, that, I love what it says here. It says, move down here in verse uh, 7. That is, I have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. Just, Jesus, speak the word. Say the word. And this is the guy that's never even been to the local Bible class or to the synagogue preaching lecture series or to the revival or to the awakening or whatever series of meetings. It's just, uh, he's just an incredible guy. Look, look at this. He humbles himself. Fill the next one in quickly. The centurion trusted completely with all his heart. And that's what God calls you and I to this morning is not a small trust, but a complete trust in Christ, in his word. Uh, this centurion is a man with authority, but yet this humility is overwhelming. And, and Jesus is pleased by this guy. He's, he's pleased with the centurion because he knows that Jesus has all the authority. As he has authority as an officer over people and he tells them to do this and they do that, Jesus has authority from the Father on high. And this morning, there's no greater power that you can appeal to than the Lord of heaven. Would you agree with that, church? Who are you appealing to this morning? You say, I'm appealing to my boss. Well, there's a time for that. But let me submit to you this morning, run to the throne of heaven and say, God, I appeal to you. I want to trust you. Here's this centurion I'm reading about today. And he is commended by his humility and his faith and his trust in you. So there he is. He trusts completely. The, the scripture says that Jesus is dazzled He's, he marvels, he's amazed, he's stunned by his faith. And I got to thinking, has my faith ever stunned Jesus? Has your faith ever just amazed the Nazarene? Has it ever just overwhelmed Jesus that he goes, wow, that girl, that guy, their faith is unbelievable. It's unquenchable, man. It's, it's, it's going for it. They, they trust me. They, they look to you. Look, verse 9, he says, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. He's looking at them among all the religious people. 
He goes, but I never found faith like this centurion. And we read it over and over in the scripture, and I'm just thinking, there's something here for us to learn. That unbelievable faith, amazing faith, moves Jesus. He is stunned. He, he is moved. He is directed by that. And I'm wondering, God, what kind of faith do I have? In, in the Greek, I want you to write down this word if you're impressed, if you're not impressed. Here it is. It's thaumazo, T-H-A-U. Write down T-H-A-U-M-A-Z-O. And this is the kind of faith that he has. It means marveled, amazed. Just, it, it, just gets you, it, it blows the mind. And I'm thinking, man, that's the kind of faith that I want. No, that's the kind of faith I want us to have. That kind of faith moves mountains. That kind of faith, things are impossible. Because here's this centurion, and we're going to learn the end that we've already read, but I want us to get it biblically in order that we see the authority of God. But look at the next one. Fill in this blank. Jesus heals this dude, this servant, from a distance. Jesus didn't come and his shadow didn't appear and the guy has a shadow or he didn't have a handkerchief or he doesn't touch the hem of the garment as we see in other gospels. None of that happens. Jesus, he's on his way and he goes, but Lord, look, look, look what it says here. He says, for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell you, go and he goes, come and he comes and I say to my servant, do this and he does it. But when Jesus heard this, he's amazed, turning to the crowd, following him. He says, I tell you, I've not found such great faith in Israel. And the men who had been sent returned to the house. They returned to the place where the guy was and they found him eating probably they found him well man it's like he didn't even jesus didn't even have to go to the house jesus just sends a word jesus says whatever and he says you know they get home and the guy's well i mean the guy's like man he's on death's door he's not gonna make it he's about to croak okay he's probably got a do not resuscitate order i don't know <laughs> and i don't think they had them in those days okay I, I, I took a real liberty on that okay but you know what i'm talking about i mean yeah, somebody just writing your notes today, DNR. I need to fill one of those out. No, hang with me, hang with me, okay. But, but, he, 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 but Jesus heals him, so it's, it's a miracle. And, and then I just wrote a few words that I thought might be helpful. What does it take to amaze Jesus? Audacious faith. I, I love that word. I use it a lot. I love that, audacious. Say the word with me, audacious. Say it again, audacious. Isn't that a fun word? Sounds like... Are you preparing us to take our SATs? No, just audacious, off the chart, challenging, daring, bold, a willingness to surprisingly take bold, reckless risk. And that's what Jesus says that this satyrian has. He has this faith that I've never witnessed in Israel before. And I just got to thinking about that this week, thinking, man, that's... Has, has anybody ever said that about me? But more than that, has Jesus ever said that about me or you? Man, your faith is so wimpy. <laughs> your faith is so mediocre. Your faith is strong, but no, your faith is audacious. Here, here's another word just filling in. It's an unexpected faith. Because you wouldn't expect faith to come out of the satyrian because he wasn't a religious guy. But he had heard enough and God had moved in his heart. God had, God had stirred some things. So it was unexpected. And yet Jesus quotes him, so I'm sure 
in, in, in the synagogue and rabbis and different people, they, they would talk about this, like, how dare Jesus talk about this guy? Well, Jesus could because he's Lord. And the other thing is an unashamed faith. I mean, this centurion, he was not ashamed to go public. He was not ashamed to, to proclaim uh, that Jesus was the one. I wish there was another chapter about the life of the centurion. But just the small section that we get is enough to make me rethink my faith, to stir my faith, to push my faith, to help us go forward in faith. A couple of things I was thinking about as I read this, I thought about faith. Faith works when we come to God with a sense of our own unworthiness. Write that somewhere in your notes. Faith operates, faith best works when you and I are humble and we realize and recognize our own unworthiness. And I think that's a place that God begins to work. In my salvation story, hopefully in your salvation story, you saw somewhere that you had a need for a Savior. You saw that you were unworthy on your own, and faith began to work. And you say, I had faith. Even the faith that you had, guess what? You got it from God. Faith is a gift. Do you believe that, church? You say, but it was my faith. It was your faith. And God wants us to have personal faith. But even faith is a gift from Him. I love this. I just think about how undeserving. And the second thing is faith works when our confidence in the Lord is so strong that we're willing to risk embarrassment and willing to even risk failure. My faith is so moved by the Messiah, by Jesus himself, that I'm willing to step out in risky, bold, audacious faith, and I will trust him even at the risk that I might fall, that I might fail, but somehow Christ might get honor through this. And I've just wondered, how many times do we just have that little safe, calm, in a box faith, and we're not really trusting God for the impossible, for the supernatural? Matter of fact, my daughter and son-in-law gave me a, a, a book for Christmas, one of my gifts, and I, I love scriptures, I tell you, and as I preach from every weekend, but this is one of the most insightful devotionals that I've ever read. And I've read a lot of devotionals over the years. So I want to just hold it up to you today. The author is Paul David Tripp, New Morning Mercies. And, and I just want to read a little section to you that I read the other day. I, I, just, I love when, of course, I'm reading sections of Scripture and I'm reading this and this and this. And then, of course, I read this every day too. And I thought, oh, God, that is so cool that this weekend I'm preaching on faith and you happen to speak to me in a devotional. How many think God can even control your devotional reading? I do. I mean, you're riding down the car, you're riding down the car. That'd be crazy. If you're riding in the car down the road and somebody comes on the radio and you hear a message and you're like, yeah, maybe for me. And then later you hear another podcast or something and it's on the subject. And somebody comes in and says, hey, I want to give you this article. It's on the same subject. God's probably talking. Listen to this. He goes, faith isn't natural for us. Doubt is. Fear is and pride is, but faith in the words and the works of another isn't. And for that, there's grace. And I go, wow. So I want you to just write down today one thought. Faith is strictly supernatural. Man, we're, we're called to a supernatural life in Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say, God hasn't just forgiven you, praise him that he has, but he has also called you to a brand new way of living. He's called you to live by faith. Now here's the truth. Faith is not normal for us. Faith is, frankly, a counterintuitive way for us to live. Doubt is quite natural. And how many would agree with that? I have no problem with doubt. I got lots of doubt, Pastor. That's not a good thing to be excited about. That's horrible. Listen, 
wondering what God is doing is natural. It's normal to think your life is harder than that of others. Envying the life of someone else is natural. Wishing life was easier, that you had more control is natural. It's typical for you and me to try to figure out the future. Worry is natural. Fear is natural. Wanting to give up is natural. It's natural to wonder if all of your good habits make a difference in the end. It's normal to be occasionally haunted by the question of whether you have staked, staked your life on is really true. But faith isn't natural. Somewhere in all that, you're going, man, i got a message in that. See, this morning, I'm just trying to encourage you as pastor, as preacher, that begin to operate in some supernatural faith that you trust God for the unseen. You trust him for that, which is not necessarily that I can see it, I can touch it, I can feel it, but I believe it in my heart by faith through the Holy Spirit, through the words of Christ. Lord, help us. You see, the, the Pharisees in the Scripture, they had plenty of religion, <laughs> They just didn't have faith. Not supernatural, not audacious, audacious not unashamed faith. They, they just had something, I don't know. But Jesus wants us to be dangerous, risky, don't play it safe, go for it, take a chance on him, trust him, uh, believe him for the supernatural. I want you to write down a verse that I saw, Psalm 107, verse 20. Because the centurion is used to making commands, and he, and he, and he uh, commands Jesus here to heal a servant with his word. And, and I read this scripture, and I thought, man, this is awesome. This is years and years before uh, these words of Jesus. It says, he sent his word, and he healed them. The centurion says to Jesus, just send your word, and that will heal my servant. I love how the Old Testament and the New Testament do not compete they complement. Will you write that down somewhere? The Old and the New Testament do not compete. They complement. They are the infallible Word of God. Do you believe that, church? This is God's Word for today. Guys, my heart is broken for America, for denominations, for the life of the Christian church, because so many people now have erudite minds. That means they're very highly stimulated intellectual pious people and they think they can outthink God and they think sections of this book are not applicable. Let me tell you guys, when we put this book down, we have departed from that which is eternal truth in Jesus Christ. I've got friends right now, they're debating this book, which parts are right and true and which parts aren't. And I'm like, Jesus, help my friends return to the truth. I still remember when I went off to seminary, somebody said, don't let them mess you up. And I hate to tell you, seminary is a great place and you learn a lot. But a lot of times people get in such an intellectual camp, they begin to, they think they reason out their faith. And I've seen a lot of people come away from seminary messed up versus being strong in the faith. And you're like, oh man, I'm just telling you folks, here's what I want to say. We got to be committed to God's word. Amen. And when somebody begins to give you some, some position that is different from God's word, say, let me go to God's word. Let me see what God teaches on this. Because I'm going to go with God every time. He is the same yesterday, today, and for when? Forever. He doesn't change. God's word doesn't change, does it, church? That's what I love about God. He's, he's constant, unlike you and I. So faith is when we activate our faith. Faith is not passive. Faith, you can write this down, faith is an action verb. Faith is something you do. You place your trust completely in Christ. It, it, I, I, this is a great illustration. The, the sick guy who needs to get better, but he doesn't go to the doctor. That's called what? Foolishness, okay? 
And the girl who's looking for a husband but never goes to a young adult meeting or a small group at church or never commits with other people, she just sits in her basement and she goes, my husband will find me here. I doubt it. You pr- yeah, that's crazy. Thank you, Charles. You're probably going to die a cat lady. I don't know. It's just weird. I mean, you're out there. You're, you're operating. Faith. Some people are like, my faith is private, pastor. My faith is uh, no passion. My faith is passive. I'm going, <laughs> run from me. Because Jesus said they had no faith, unbelief. He did nothing. I want to be around people that have more faith than I've got. How about you? Why don't you turn to a person next to you and say, why don't you get some more faith? Just turn to the person next to you and say, why don't you get some more faith? Now you turn to the other person and say, why don't you get some more faith? Yeah. And hey, let's get together and stir our faith up, okay? Do y'all believe if we stir our faith up together that God could do more than he's doing now? But, oh, no, pastor, I'm going to stay over here and That's going to look funny on video. <laughs> you know, my dad's generation, that's what they thought. Faith was so private, you, you didn't really do a lot of public sharing of it. There's more here. I'm glad that I live in an age that I want to go public with my testimony for Christ, don't you? I love when people share their faith. And especially when they've just got bold faith and they've got faith where God's working and moving their life. I go, tell me another story. Tell me another faithfulness of God in your life because that'll encourage my heart that'll that'll move me to be like Christ here's some uh, philosophy that some maybe fall uh, at uh, believe in God helps those who help themselves what what scripture is that it's not okay I I, I know somebody just wrote it down went where is it pastor show me is not in the word of God it is though kind of a biblical concept that you begin to help or you begin to move in that you know god doesn't need our help god chooses to partner and use us but over in second kings five uh, the one that has leprosy and, and and god tell he tells him to go dip in the river there was some action taking place uh the other one in second kings four where they had to collect the containers to haul all the oil that the woman needed for for her uh, cooking and like the, the, the warrior that is called to go into battle in the Old Testament. And what do they have to do? They have to pick up their weapon and, and go to battle. Or we pick up our faith and, and we move in it. Please, this morning when you leave here, don't go, I just want my faith to be on the shelf. I want my faith to be passive. We've seen enough of that. We want faith that literally stirs the waters and, and God is behind our actions Look at, write down Matthew 9, 2. Here's another great case for great faith. They brought him a paralytic lying on his bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. I find it interesting in that story. It doesn't go, the paralytic, I marveled at his faith. Now what it says. The ones that had faith to carry their friend to Jesus, Jesus was moved. So that tells you and me this morning that when we have faith, our faith can move situations. Our faith can change situations for others. So God, give us active faith. Give us faith that increase our faith today. Write that somewhere in your notes today. Lord, increase our faith. Lord, make it more. In, in Luke 17, 5, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. 
Enlarge our faith, Lord Jesus. It's pretty small. Jesus is non-existent. And so I'm going to go back to the story. The centurion, Jesus is overwhelmed. He's marveling at the boy's faith. And I go, man, that's the faith I want. That's the faith I want you to have. That's the faith that moves mountains. It's a radical step that brings honor and glory to Jesus Christ. So, Lord, maybe tomorrow I'll bring you my faith. No, Jesus, today. Today I'll bring you my heart. Today I'll trust you. Hebrews eleven six. without faith it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe. He is a rewarder of those who will diligently seek after him. Do you think the Lord rewards faith? He does. He rewards our faith when we trust him with all our hearts. Doesn't mean he does what we tell him to do because he's bigger than that. But he is blessed and he is magnified. And then sometimes he chooses to move in powerful ways in that situation because he rewards obedience when we follow him. So Lord, help us to, to look to you and realize that, Lord, maybe our life's not working out. I'd say this morning, some of you are feeling like, man, my life's not going so good. Okay. And some of you are saying, man, my life's going really great. I'd say the same thing to both of you. Look to Jesus. Go to him. He won't fail you. Whom do we have in heaven but you, O oh Lord? Lord, I, I, I tried one time. I stepped out. I launched the ministry, and it was a big bomb. It was a dud. Everybody told me. That's okay. Just rise back up and begin to see if there's something else God's calling you to do, and trust him for that. But Lord, I believe. Lord, the smallest amount of faith. Lord, that's what you're calling me. You're great. You see, faith stands on the promises of God. And I just got to thinking, how many promises do you know? And I'm not saying just pull a scripture out, out of context, and go, Pastor, I'm going to act on that promise right there. And, and, and you got it out of context. Man, that's just that's horrible theology. I'm talking about in the full context of God that you know it's God's will according to his word. And you begin to say, God, these are promises from your word. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe those. I'm going to memorize those. I'm going to act on those. I'm going to trust you, God. And, 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 and Zach, I want to tell you, buddy, this is a word for you this morning, and it's for all of us. You're going to need some word over the next weeks that you're going to be acting on, that you're going to be standing on when you want your mama. Because your mama ain't going to be there. And, and everybody goes, oh, that's so sweet. He wants his mama. I want my mama too. People are screaming and yelling at me, and I wasn't sleeping for weeks. But you know what? Just ask God for a word. I believe God's going to give you a word, Zach. How many of you have been asking God for a word? Well, I hadn't, but I'm going to ask him today. God, give me a word. Some of you say, man, I've been asking. I've been asking God to give me a mate. God, give me a wife. Give me a husband. I, 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 that's not what I said. Ask God for a word. God, what is it you want me to do? God, what is it that you want to change in my heart? God, give me scriptures to stand on. Lord, I want to have... Um, I like Matthew 17, 20. Jesus replied, because you have so little faith, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, for nothing will be impossible for you. Do you believe that today, church? I do. And I got some big roadblocks, and you got some big roadblocks. But if I got the faith of a mustard seed, you ever seen a mustard seed? Man, it is I meant to get you a picture I didn't. I'm sorry. Just Google it. Not now. But, uh, and, and you'll say, man, a, a mustard seed is pitiful. I mean, it's so minute. And Jesus said if we have faith just as a mustard seed, we could do even greater works than him according to the Scriptures. So, Lord, we trust you. And then um, 
as Jeremy comes over to the piano, I just want you to think this. Feed your faith through the Word of God. I want you to have great faith, and to have great faith always comes down to being people of the book. So God, when I doubt, when I trust, when I'm indifferent, I will feed on your Word. Because in feeding in the Word, on the Word, you strengthen my inner man. You strengthen my spirit. You give me faith for the impossible. God, I trust you. Faith begins to open doors to the miracles that are maybe awaiting you in your life. I really believe that. And God has set up the universe in a hierarchy of laws. The law of faith is actually higher than the law of nature. And the laws of nature, you know, they don't, they don't get broken. They're, I mean, they're pretty high. But then there's that opportunity when we just have great faith in Christ and great faith in God and great faith in his word. And, and that faith is above the natural law. Because remember what I said, faith is what? Not natural, but faith is supernatural. Faith is a gift from Abba. So this morning in Matthew 13, 58, it says, Jesus did not do many miracles there because they had a lack of faith. So this morning, I've just come to proclaim one thing. Don't be known as a person that had a lack of faith. Have amazing, off-the-chart faith. Because God created you and me to move mountains in his name. Let's pray. Jesus, you are awesome in this place. And I just want to worship you today. You're a great God. Lord, I pray that this morning you would move in our hearts and give us faith to believe for the impossible and give us faith to believe that Christ died for my sins. And give me faith to trust God for that thing that I cannot see, the evidence of things unseen. Lord, I trust you. Give us faith. Give us the gift of faith. Lord, we need you.